Thank you, Morgan, for the beautiful song there. I wasn't supposed to preach this morning. I always told Pastor I'd never want to preach after Morgan sings because I don't know how to follow that. Uh, but as you can see, Pastor's not here. He's not doing well, so he's a little bit sick this morning. I shouldn't have said it that way. Holy cow. <laughs> You're like, what? He's just, he's got a little bit of a cold flu type thing. So just be, be in prayers for Pastor Brian this morning. And you are... I don't know that you have the joy to listen to me preach today or you're stuck with me. Either way, you're going to have to find a way to get over it because here we are. We are in the middle of our Advent season. Um, and this is, um, I'm not a Christmas guy. Um, I'm kind of a Scrooge or a Grinch. I don't know if you've picked that up. The teenagers know it well. My wife knows it all too well. Um, I'm just, I, I don't know. I've never been able to get into the season. I'm not going to mention the other pastor's name who's in here this morning. Uh, he's been playing Christmas music since like August, I think. And I'm just like, earphones in, shut the door, block it out however you can. Um, I have a rule in our house, and like I really have a rule. Okay, Morgan makes the rules. But I have a rule that we're not allowed to listen to Christmas music until after Thanksgiving. Morgan starts before Thanksgiving, and I don't really have a say in the matter. Um, but I have a rule. <laughs> Nobody follows it. Um, but I do love Advent. Not a big fan of Christmas. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love that Jesus came. I love why we celebrate Christmas. Just, I don't know. I don't know. It's just not my favorite thing. Uh, but I do. I really, really love the season of Advent because the season of Advent is all about waiting. And it's all about anticipating. And it's all about looking at our lives before Christ entered them. And we really, to me, it makes the Christmas celebration that much better. Because, I don't know about you, but before uh, Christ came to me, it was not pretty. And, and, and so I reflect and think about the fact that Jesus did come some 2,000 years ago and all the preparing and preparation that that took. And, uh, and I think about my own life and all the preparing that took place in my heart before Jesus came in. And I think about the future lives that we all have, knowing that one day um, we kind of are preparing again for Christ to return. And so I love the season of preparation. I love the season of waiting and, and anticipating, and there's responsibility in that for us. Um, we, we've kind of talked about that the past couple of weeks. We talked about uh, the preparing of Mary and Joseph last week, and, and so this morning we're going to look at uh, the, the story of the wise men and how they had to respond. And so, so the Advent season is not one where we just sit back and wait and don't do anything. But it's a season where we sit back and wait and begin to prepare things. And the cool part about the story of Jesus, Matthew uh, chapter 2 and Luke chapter 2 and chapter 1, and all of the Christmas story that we read in the Bible is uh, people everywhere in this story are forced to make choices. They're forced to respond in one way or another. If you even look at Mary, I mean, this angel appears to her and tells her that uh, this, this young teenage girl who is betrothed to Mary, Joseph, uh, gets this news that she's going to carry the Son of God in her womb and one day give birth to Jesus Christ. She has to make a choice. She has to respond to that somehow. And then you, you hear the story about the angel coming to Joseph and tell him that this girl that he is pledged to be married to uh, is pregnant with someone else's baby, not his own. And he's got to make a choice. 
He has to respond somehow. You think about the shepherds as they're in the field just doing their shepherd things. And this group of angels comes and begins to sing to them and calls them to go into Bethlehem and find this baby who's lying in a manger and worship him because he's the new king. And so they are forced to respond. I want you to think about this. Every single character we read about in the Christmas story has a choice to make. Do they respond by doing what the angels are calling them to do and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is king and worship Jesus Christ as king? Or do they just go about their daily lives as normal? I want you to think about this because I don't want you to misunderstand me. No response is a response. So if the, if the shepherds have been sitting in the fields and didn't do anything, that's a response. <laughs> It's not a good one, but that's a response. And so we're going to look today at the story of the wise men. And we're going to focus in on this particular story because there's two responses. Because you know the story. We'll read it here in a second. Uh, you have the wise men in this story, and then you've got King Herod in this story. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 2 because that's where we're going to be here in a few moments. This is a story all about responding, all about making a choice. And so that's what we're going to look at. And I want you to follow along as I read it today. And you've heard the story before. You probably could recite the story. Uh, you probably know the songs about the story. Uh, actually, it's kind of cute. My son, um, uh, you know, talking about the little drummer boy in that song where they're going to see the king and stuff. He calls it Come a Dory. Have you heard, you know what I'm talking about? Like, Come They Told Me. He doesn't understand that. He's Come a Dory. Sorry, that was cuter to me than it was to you. Matthew chapter 2. We're going to be the first 16 verses here. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and there bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. In this passage, uh, we hear uh, the story of the coming of Jesus and about how his coming forces people to decide how they're going to respond. You see, we all have to make a choice. Our life lived out brings us to crossroad after crossroad of how we will respond when Jesus steps in and when he begins to speak to us. So let's look at these two responses this morning. First, let's look at King Herod's response 
Uh, King Herod ruled in Jerusalem for about 37 years, they believe. During that time, uh, simply put, uh, King Herod's life was lived selfishly. His decisions over his life tell the story. He believed that he could have it all, that he could do it all, and that he deserved it all. He made his decisions constantly based on how it would help or hurt only one person, himself. And when you live your life that way, only concerned about yourself and self-preservation, it will negatively affect those around you. There was a story that was told of a local charity in a small town who had never received a donation from the town's most successful lawyer. The director got bold and he called this lawyer to get a contribution. He spoke to the lawyer and he spoke directly. He said, our records show that you make over $500,000 a year and yet you haven't given a penny to charity. Wouldn't you like to help the community? The lawyer replied, did your research show that my mother is ill with medical bills several times her annual income? The director replied, um, no. Or that my brother is blind and unemployed? The director was overwhelmed by the response and began to try to piece together an apology. But the lawyer continued, and he was raising his voice, or that my sister's husband died in an auto accident, leaving her penniless and with three kids. The humiliated director said, I had no idea. So, the lawyer said, if I don't give any money to them, why in the world would I give any to you? <laughs> When someone begins to believe that they can have it all, that they can do it all, and that they deserve it all, someone is going to get hurt. Someone always gets hurt. Herod's life was lived for himself and really no one else. And so he responded to events around him uh, only through the lens of how this was going to affect him and what he wanted. And so notice how he responds to the birth of Jesus. First, verse 3, it says he was disturbed. It says, uh, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. Second thing we see, it says that he questioned it, verses 4 through 5. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. And it shows that um, he rejected. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, this is verse 16, it says he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under. Herod knew that uh, if a new king had been born to the Jews, it threatened his kingship. If Jesus had come, it would mean that there was not room for two kings. You can't have two kings. You can't serve two masters. We've seen that in Scripture before, haven't we? You can't follow two different kings. Only one could lead. Only one could be on the throne. When Jesus steps into our life, it always results in a call to follow him, not to follow ourselves. When God's plan doesn't match our plan, if we're not careful, we can respond just like Herod did. Our response begins with being disturbed uh, or asking questions and then responding by rejecting uh, what God wants for us to do. We can make the decision to try to put an end to God's work in our lives to remain king. And sometimes we don't even know we do this. The enemy is going to tempt us with many options to suffocate God's call and kill our spiritual growth. It starts by being disturbed. Now's not a good time, God. Uh, when I can get ahead, 
when I can get through this busy Christmas season, if I can get my kids raised, if I can get my house bought, if I can get my parents taken care of, then, then we'll talk. But now is not the right time, and it disturbs our uh, lives. We tend to say no. We begin to question, just like Herod. Uh, it leads us to manipulate situations. We don't like where God is leading or where he appears to be uh, or what he appears to be doing. Uh, so we pull the audience and we ask questions to try to justify what it is we're going to do to try to justify our selfish behavior, which leads us to reject God's plan altogether. We take action to kill his plan to put to death God's work in our lives, to sacrifice his coming so that we can remain king just like Herod. King Herod believed that he could have it all, that he could do it all, and that he deserved it all. And when you live your life that way, it will always, always negatively affect you and the people around you. We may not articulate it, but this is the attitude in our world that creeps into our lives today. Uh, most everyone in this room, I would guess, is a Christian and or is seeking Christ in some form or fashion, or else you might not be here. Um, so you might have some level of interest in his plan for your life, his ability to help you, uh, regardless of where we are in this process or in this spectrum. We're all tempted to buy the lie that we can have it all, that we can do it all, and that we deserve it all. And we see this all the time. These temptations come in a few different areas of our lives. I'll just name a few of them. How about our finances? Here's the temptation. I want to spend all my money on me. Uh, I want to buy the things that bring me pleasure. We live in a society of instant gratification. Um, now, even though God may be directing me to something else, I want to buy or I want to spend my money how I want to spend my money. After all, I'm the one that worked for it. I'm the one that earned it. It's mine. I'm the king of my finances. Uh, even if God might want us to help others or give in another way, we tend to hold on to those things because I want what I want. I make excuses. I manipulate the situation. I take action to put to death God's plan for my life, knowingly or unknowingly. And, and sometimes we can get ourselves in a financial stranglehold uh, because we make choices not based on God's will for our lives, but based on what we want to do with what we have. And sometimes that can take years to get out of. But have we ever just stopped and asked God, how do you want me to spend this money? What do you want me to do with the finances? All these things that I've made over the years that I've worked, what should I do with those things? We don't do that very often. Sometimes we just go straight to what we want or what we think we need. What would it look like if you asked the question before you spent the dollar? What would it look like if as you're sitting down monthly to do your budget, you prayed to God, how can I use my money for your kingdom? I guarantee you one thing. It would change the way you spend. It would change everything about how you see your finances. It, it would change you. Try it. I dare you. <laughs> how about our job? Here's the temptation. We want to seek out the job that we want to have. Maybe we want to have that job because it makes the most money or it has the best benefits or it puts us in the highest position or it gives us prestige or power. Uh, and, and we seek those jobs instead of seeking out the one that fulfills God's call on our lives. Who is king? Is it you or is it him? 
Are you in the center of God's will? Are you fulfilling God's call on your life? When was the last time you prayed about your vocation? Is God leading you and working through you as you work? Or is your desire for money and comfort and things and power and position, are those the things driving your decisions? The example we have from Herod in Scripture is that those were the things driving his decisions, but we're different than, than Herod. We're not Herod. We shouldn't be Herod. And so we ask, God, what do you want me to do? I've been a pastor for 10 years, and I've seen how people will seek God's will for their lives, and they'll earnestly seek, God, what do you want me to do for a living? I've worked with enough teenagers to see them have this struggle with, I don't know what to do uh, when I get a job. I don't know where to work. I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. And they, and they seek, and they seek, and they seek after what it is God wants them to. And here's the crazy part. When we're seeking what God wants us to do, he begins to work in our lives. And he begins to change us. And he begins to draw us closer to him. And we begin to have this crazy, incredible relationship with him. But almost every single time, the enemy will step into that process and say, Hey, you can worry about God's will for your life later. I got a job for you that's going to pay you all kinds of money. I got a job for you that's got the best benefits around. I got a job for you. You're going to be on the fast track to the top. You, don't, you can worry about God's plans later. I got a job for you. And I see those same people who were so passionately seeking after what God wanted them to do and drawing closer and closer to God and getting more and more involved in the community and doing great things for God and his kingdom all of a sudden take that job, even though it's not what God wants for them. And they begin to pull away. They begin to make decisions that aren't as godly as the ones they were making before. And it kind of just interrupts this flow of their life. When was the last time you asked God, what do you want me to do? What job do you want me to have? What vocation do you want me to seek after? How are we teaching our young people about this? When they're seeking employment as teenagers, even part-time jobs, or as young adults looking for that first job, are we counseling them and helping them to understand how important it is to ask God and to seek out what God wants them to do, even in a part-time job? Are we, or do we simply say, you know what? What's going to pay the best? What's going to have the best hours? What's going to get you the furthest along in life? Who's king? Is it us or is it God? How about our family and our free time? What about the decisions we make in leading our family? How are you responding to God's direction uh, and leading when it comes to your family? Here's the temptation. If we're not careful, the world will try to uh, disturb us about not meeting the marks that they are setting for how we're raising our children, from academics to extracurricular activities uh, to sports and clubs and the schools that they attend. The list is endless and we can get caught up trying to have it all do it all, and think that we deserve it all, who is king? When we make decisions for our family, we have to ask the question, will this draw our family closer to Christ, or will it lead them further away from him? When was the last time you asked that question whenever you had to make a decision for your family? When was the last time you prayed about how seriously you were taking your day-to-day -day decisions on the spiritual growth for yourself and for your kids and for your grandkids and for your friends and your extended family? Uh, 
When has it been? Look at your decisions recently. Do those decisions point you to the fact that you're following God and He is King? Or do those decisions point you to the fact that maybe you are trying to hold on to your own kingdom? Look at your decisions. I don't want you to, I don't want you to think about your convictions here. I don't want you to look at, well, I think this way. I want you to look at what you are doing. Because actions so often speak louder than words. What do they tell you about how you're responding to what you already know God is calling you to do in your life? For parents today, in some ways, it is an increasingly more and more difficult decision, uh, but it's not an impossible one. How are we raising our families? Do we even think that way? Do we ask God, what is your will here? What do you want done here? Who is king? Is it you or is it God? We don't speak these words today to condemn anyone, but the reality is that if we're not speaking them here in church, no one out there is going to be speaking them to you. We speak these words today to remind all of us that in every area of our lives, the enemy is going to try and draw us away from what God wants from us and for us, away from God's best. He is working to pull our kids away. He is working to pull our grandkids away. He's working to pull our brothers and our sisters away from the kingdom of God. And we have got to understand that we play a role in every step of the journey. Who is king? Is it you? Is it God? The enemy is subtle. The enemy will try and convince us that just spending $100 here or there won't matter that much. Go ahead and buy it. He will try to convince us that a part-time job for our teen is a good thing, and it is, but how will you answer the question that will come when the new employer pressures them, the enemy tempts them to work the same time as church? What example are we setting as adults that a few more hours a week at work or a few more weekends away from worship to go here or there won't matter. The enemy tells us that it's only a few Sundays or it's only a few Wednesdays or it's just this once, but did you know there's only 168 hours in a week? And so few of them are already spent in focused time with God in worship. And if we keep chipping away until we only have maybe one hour a month or two hours a month, three hours a month, we keep chipping away and chipping away. We can't be okay with that. I speak to you as someone who has this struggle. Who is king? Is it you or is it God? What are your priorities? Who is king? I've worked with teenagers for over nine years. I said that already. But I want you to know that I've had conversation with parents who look back on their teenagers' lives and they say, Doug, why is my kid not in church anymore? And sometimes it's really hard to look at them and say, was your kid ever in church? Because you've made decisions. And you've put them in a place where that hasn't been a priority in your life or in theirs. And when that teenager becomes a college student and moves away and starts making their own choices, it can be really hard if our children aren't in church learning to fall in love with the church, they're never going to fall in love with the church. If our kids are not in this building regularly, 
and learning the faces of the people in the pews next to you and building relationships with other caring and loving adults who really do care and love your kids, how can we ever expect them to fall in love with God's church? I'm not trying to be hard this morning. I'm just telling you what I've seen in my experience. It's so important that we make times of worship just like this one a priority. And yeah, you're going to go on vacations. I understand that. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. And yeah, sometimes things come up. But what's the priority? Who is the king? Is it you or is it God? We can come up with excuses. We can begin to manipulate situations, scrambling to justify our actions, and before we know it, the enemy is working to put an end to God's plan for our life to death. We're on a slippery slope. And so what do we do? This has been a really depressing sermon so far, and I'm sort of sorry, sort of not sorry, because sometimes we need to dig in things and find out what the Scripture says. And here's the good news. That's not the only way to respond. Here's the good news. We have this story of King Herod and how he responded, and that's the wrong way to respond. But on the same side of the coin, or on the different side of the coin, we've got these wise men. And these wise men get it right. And these wise men teach us in their journey the way that we can respond to God's call on our life. Let's look at what they do because their story is a little bit similar. They too were seeking something. They too had questions and were questioning things. Uh, but, but they didn't give up on their journey. They were persistent. The, the wise men were persistent. Verses 7 through 9 in our scripture. It says, Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them uh, the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. These men were not going to give up on the call that God had placed in their life. No matter what obstacles got in the way of God's call in their life, they knew these were kings just like Herod was a king. But they knew that this young baby was the king. And so they decided right then and there, who is king? Jesus is king. And so they set aside years. This journey, they believe, took more than a couple days to get where they were going. But it took a really, really long time. They gave up all that time to seek after Jesus, this new king. They answered the question right then and there, who is king? Jesus is king. When they finally got there, they worshipped him. Verses 10 and 11. Uh, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. We see this act of worship, and we see that part of their act of worship was giving. It says in 11, the second part of verse 11, Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. They gave their very best, because when asked the question, Who is king? They answered, Definitely, Definitely, <laughs> Christ is king. We're not king. We can never be the right kind of king. We think we can be the right kind of king, but we can't be the right kind of king. Christ is king. And so these wise men give their very best to this young little child. And as a result, they received everything in return. They were persistent in their search for the king. They bowed down to this king. These kings, these wise men, they submit their kingship to Christ and set one of the best examples that we could ever have in Scripture of what we should do with our own kingship. 
set it down at the foot of Christ. And we can guess that their life was never the same. We don't know the end of their story, the rest of their lives. But I can bet you anything that the impact that they had on their families and their community and the world around them was all what God was expecting of them because they chose to respond the right way to Christ stepping into their world. As parents, as grandparents, as leaders, as people who love Jesus and want to serve him, the greatest legacy we can leave is one that is continually pursuing Christ and his plan, continually surrendering our will for God's, continually helping those around us say, not my will, but God's will be done. The struggle is real. It's not easy. It's hard. And the enemy fights and fights and fights. And quite honestly, the enemy plays dirty um, because the last thing he wants is for you to submit your kingship to the kingship of Christ. That's why it's hard. Because it's a battle for your life. It's a battle for your throne, your family, your legacy. Uh, Here's the good news this morning. Christ has already won the battle. All we have to do is submit to his kingship and let him continue to win the battle over and over again. When he steps into your world, who will be king? How will you respond? I'm going to invite Nathan to come and get ready. And we're going to close with a song. And we're going to close with a chance for each and every person in here that wants to, to respond. Because I know one thing. When you get a group of people this big together somebody's bound to not be responding the right way, and that's okay, because we all mess up. I've messed up. But if you are on this journey, and you sense that Christ has stepped into your life today, and you sense that maybe you're holding on to your kingship a little bit too tightly, maybe you're a little bit too unwilling to let go of what God is uh, and, and not follow what God is calling you to do, if that's you, today. Do not leave this building. Please, 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 please without responding to that call. Without submitting your kingship up to him. I don't beg very much, but I'm begging you. Don't leave this place today until you submit to the one who created you. The one who a couple thousand years ago stepped into our world to become our kings. Don't leave this place until you're right with him. So Nathan's going to sing. I'm going to pray for us. Then Nathan's going to sing. And in that moment, if you feel like God is calling you to submit to him, come and do it. And your life will be changed. And life will get good. And you'll understand what your call is. And you'll understand that the seeking and all of the the perseverance, it's going to pay off. And it's going to be good. And it's going to be excellent. And you'll get an understanding that God truly is king. Would you stand with me? Heavenly Father, we're here today because of you. We're here today because we confess we all mess up sometimes. We confess that we might not hit the mark every single time, but at the same time, Lord, as we're going through this daily struggle of who is king in my life, would you help us to confess, Lord, and would you help us to recognize that it is you. It's not us. Speak to us now and change us now, Lord, in Jesus' name.